This is the BBC. This podcast is supported by advertising outside the UK. This is the BBC. This is Under the Weather from the BBC. With me, Claire Nazir and Simon King. In this podcast, we'll be joined by a range of experts as we answer some of weather's most interesting and challenging questions. In this episode... We were just under this supercell that was cranking up just around about 9.30. All of a sudden, looked to the south and only lit up by the flashes of lightning that were almost constant. Mm. There was this ghostly silhouette appearing. Under the weather from the BBC. We are talking tornadoes. This is proper juicy stuff for anyone who loves weather. Um, yeah, are you, are you a big tornado thunderstorm fan? I just love just love everything about it. You are rubbing your cheeks right now, your <laughs> facial cheeks. I know, it's like you, <laughs> oh, thunderstorms. We are I, so I, excited. I do get quite excited about thunderstorms because, A, they are beautiful. Mm. So you've got the big cumulonimbus clouds. You get mammatus clouds, which can form out of these these. Big towering clouds. Like udders. The udders. They are brilliant clouds to look at. Um, And just the lightning and thunder. I've got a real fascination by it. So I'm a bit of a geek in terms of if I hear a good thunderstorm, I'll be out there trying to capture it on my phone and get some photos. And if anyone asks me for, you know, a good fact that they can use, this is my one that I always bring out. Okay. The UK has a higher frequency of tornadoes than anywhere else in the world. Apart from the Netherlands. Uh, well, the Netherlands. Okay. But th- so basically what we mean by that is uh, the US has bigger um, and, and lots of tornadoes, but per square mile, you look at the stats, the UK has more per square mile than anywhere else apart from the Netherlands. And we do so, get our fair share of thunderstorms here. We really do. And they can be very violent, large hail, squally winds, and it can cause a lot of damage, can't it? Yeah, but they're very small scale things, aren't they? So most people in their lifetime won't see a tornado because they are only literally anything from 100 metres to maybe two miles. You know, the really big ones that you get in the US. But they are small-scale things uh, that you may not see. So we've got the thunderstorm. The thunderstorm is a cumulonimbus cloud or a gathering of cumulonimbus clouds. Yeah. Um, And then the rarer form of this type of storm is the supercell, isn't it? Mm -hmm. So the supercell is um, a family of thunderstorms which starts rotating. So there's more spin, there's more energy, wind rushing up and down, and obviously the rotation as well, which is really key when it comes to tornado formation. And you've got the wind shear. And then you've got the wind shear as well. Storm chasers and meteorologists always look to see whether there is any wind shear, and that is the change of wind direction and strength with height to add to that rotation, which is, as I said, really key. So, for example, a wind at 1,000 metres maybe is blowing at 10 miles an hour and at 5,000 metres is blowing at, say, 25 miles an hour and you're going to get a spin. And it's that rotating column of air which, once it engages with some very unstable air, that's when you get that real sort of start. You start seeing that spinning like an ice skater spinning round and round and round in in a circle. But you can get big cumulonimbus clouds and these super uh, storms, supercells, but not all of them will spawn tornadoes. No. You need lots of different ingredients all to come together just at the right time uh, in different quantities to actually produce a tornado. So to get a tornado, you've, you've got these big 
supercell structured clouds uh, and you've got these massive updrafts, this air rushing in from the surface all the way up into the cloud. Now, they could be as much as 150 miles an hour, these winds going into the centre of the, uh, the storm. So the air climbs more rapidly and it moves in different directions. It has that wind shear, as you talked about. And then eventually, because of those violent winds, uh, you get that, that spinning the vortex and that spinning motion then starts to extend within the cloud and eventually at the bottom of the cloud and that's when you start to see something like a funnel cloud like you know if you look at the your plug when you let the bath water go you get the, the funnel that's the start of the tornado like an elephant's nose yes now it's only a tornado when that actually reaches the surface of the earth Right, when it touches. When it touches down, that's a tornado. So I have seen reports of people saying, oh, there's a tornado in Dorset. But actually, it's just just a funnel cloud. It's not actually touching the ground. So they're the most violent winds on this planet, aren't they? Yeah. And they tend to be in the US. That's where the most famous ones are. And actually, if you look at a chart, you can really see the difference in wind direction. So the warm, moist air wafting up from the Gulf of Mexico and drier air aloft coming in from the Rockies. And it's that clash, that battleground with where the warm and the cold meet, the moist and the dry meet, and then the spin and other instability, which actually creates this explosive environment, which that- sometimes results in tornadoes. And that's why you've got Tornado Alley in the US from uh, Texas, Louisiana, Mississippi, uh, the Midwest. That's where you get the most frequent and most destructive uh, tornadoes. And Oklahoma City is is known really as the capital, isn't it, of, of Tornado Alley. But I'm interested to know, is there a Tornado Alley in the UK? Oh, yeah. Because, you know, I've said we get tornadoes. So joining us now is Paul Knightley, and he is the head of the Tornado and Storm Research Organisation in the UK. Hello, Paul. Hi, Simon. Hi, Claire. A lot of people may be surprised or not that we get tornadoes in the UK. And one of the stats that we've we've bounded about is that the, the UK gets a higher frequency of tornadoes than anywhere else in the world per square mile, isn't it? It's just one of those stats that um, is bounded around a lot. And I think if you look at a country-by-country country basis, um, you can just about get away with that stat. But I think a, a, a sort of safer way of doing it is to look at, take a, you know any parcel of land in the world and per square mile, see how many tornadoes you get. And you know then you get somewhere like central Oklahoma, which easily beats uh, the UK. So yes, we do get tornadoes in the UK. Yes, they can be quite strong at times, but we should be careful not to compare the sort of climatology of our tornadoes to the Great Plains of the USA, the southern states of the USA, and other parts of the world, places like Bangladesh, um, parts of India, some parts of Australia as well. You know, these places all get big tornadoes and potentially some of those areas more tornadoes per unit area than we do. But Toro issue a tornado forecast, don't they, on a daily basis. So we do we have an equivalent of Tornado Alley here? Um, not as such, no. I mean, even in the States, you know, Tornado Alley is a kind of sort of fairly loose term for an area that experiences sort of rather more tornadoes than elsewhere. But as studies have become more and more less centred just on, you know, the sort of traditional areas of Texas, Oklahoma and Kansas, other areas of perhaps enhanced risk, for example, the southeastern states, parts of Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, um, some parts of the middle Tennessee Valley. So, you know, Nashville, places like that. There are, there are other areas 
areas where there are sort of maybe higher frequencies. And in the UK, we, we, we've seen that, you know, there was a study came out a couple of years ago that showed parts of the home counties, for example, have a slightly higher chance than elsewhere of getting of getting tornadoes. And there have been some studies, Toro and, and others, um, looking areas around the Isle of Wight, sort of eastwards along parts of the south coast. But we have to be really careful because, of course, there can be a population bias introduced as well. You know, it's a pretty populated area there as well. But I would think overall parts of central and southern England into East Anglia are going to be the areas that are most likely to see tornadoes in the UK on average. Because part of Toro is that you you, you ask people, don't you, to uh, send in observations of tornadoes. It's because of that point you say, isn't it? You can you can have tornadoes that may occur in rural areas, but because they're very small scale um, climatologically, you know, climatologically, uh, you don't observe them necessarily on other conventional weather observing systems so that's why it relies heavily on on humans to to observe the one the the small scale ones i guess yeah that's right i mean you know a typical tornado lasts just a handful of minutes and maybe leaves a trail less than a mile long maybe 50 to 100 yards wide something like that and and of course it has to hit something really to and damage it to be um studied in a way unless someone sees it firsthand so yeah we do really rely on people to send in observations and it's you know not just tornadoes but any um interesting weather phenomena hailstorms for example we're very interested in 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 big hail um wind gusts that come out of thunderstorms you know just in the form of what we term as straight line winds, so winds blowing down and out of the storm. You know, you often feel a cool gust of wind when a storm comes over, but sometimes these downbursts, as we call them, can be really quite violent and cause damage as well. So, and we have to then study it to see whether we think it was one of those outflows, or as we call it, downbursts out of the storm, or whether it's a narrow damage path that might indicate a tornado. And ideally someone one of our team can go out there and have a look you know try and assess it try and rate it and give it an intensity so how many tornado reports do toro get then in a year yeah so i think um you know we 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 often quote our our sort of long-term average over a kind of 10-year period something like that as of around 30 to 50 tornado reports per year um but in the last few years we've seen quite a downturn in the number um, which is interesting because obviously more and more people you know have the ability to perhaps film them or record them on phones and and, and the, they're, they're more well known about now so it probably is a real decrease and I was just checking the stats for last year and we uh, 2017 and we looked like we we're around about eight tornadoes for the whole year in the UK mm-hmm. which could potentially be one of our lowest years on records and the reasons why I I, I I don't possibly know at the moment, but it certainly looks like the last couple of years anyway, we've seen a, a downturn in numbers in the UK. But I, I find that quite outstanding anyway, that eight tornadoes have been observed, let alone 30 to 50, because we don't really hear about them at all, do we? I mean, occasionally, OK, let's let's talk about the, the big one, the, the one in Birmingham in 2005. Uh, that was the, the most well documented, I think, in, in, in recent times. But you're saying still that we get, well, last year, eight but between 30 and 50. So is it because they're just not hitting anything and causing any damage? Yeah, well, I mean, they, they are, but of course they're relatively, um, most tornadoes, actually most tornadoes worldwide, we, we would class as weak, even in when you see them in the States, you know, when, when we get to see the noteworthy ones, they are the big noteworthy ones, but there are many more tornadoes, you know, around 1,500 a year, perhaps on average in the United States, something like that, 12 to 1,500. And of course, we don't hear about most of them. And even in mm. the USA, they don't hear about yeah. most of them because they're local things. So yeah, you'll hear about the big ones over here. And, and Birmingham, of course, was a kind of standout example 
because of you know affected many many people it went over a well populated area um, it occurred in the afternoon on a Saturday when people were out and about um, going about their business so you know that is a rare occurrence to get something like that anywhere in the world really including the UK so most of that 30 to 50 are you know sort of small scale local ones that perhaps damage a few trees maybe pass over a farm or something and of course most even in our crowded islands most of the land is still you know rural and agricultural so yeah there is this still quite a lot of things for tornadoes not to be able to hit um, when they occur. This is Under the Weather and we're joined by Paul Knightley who is the head of TORO which is the Tornado and Storm Research Organisation. Paul we've talked about tornadoes in the UK but I know that you love your storm chasing in the US as well. Let's talk about that. When did you start going storm chasing? I can barely believe it, but um, 20 years ago um, this year, so uh, May 1998, uh, a friend and I booked our trip to the States. It was actually my first ever sort of trip on an aircraft, my first trip abroad other than going to somewhere like sort of like France. So it was a big deal for me, you know, the, just the, the pair of us going out there into the sort of great unknown. And there was quite a lot of unknowns back then, most of it my own knowledge of storms you know I'd, I'd read a lot I'd watched quite a lot of videos about storms and, and understood the kind of overall setup to get a, a storm but you know the, the Great Plains are vast and I think until you've been out there and driven around you know you can drive through Texas for an entire day for example and not get out of Texas um, Texas is two and two times as big as the UK that's just Texas so yeah 20 years ago we went out we, we had some success at seeing storms but no tornadoes in that first year of chasing that's quite frustrating isn't it if it's a new <laughs> hobby um so what makes a storm chaser what is that ingredient which means that they are pretty much risking their lives to see a beast sort of rampage across the countryside that's a very good question and um you know i think people in, uh, are interested in storms for all manner of, of, of reasons so I, I from my own personal thing you know it's just I guess that's why I became a meteorologist in a way it's, it's just a fascination with the weather um, and for me it's it's the tornado is the icing on a cake in a way getting out there seeing the weather and you know we see big contrast in the weather in that part of the world so even some things that normal people inverted commas might not find interesting like a big temperature contrast over a few miles you see this kind of thing it's almost like a kind of meteorological laboratory in the wild and um for me it's 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 all about seeing the storms the supercell storms i mean the most incredible looking things at times sculptured clouds you know and wide open skies often a lot of no not much low cloud around because it's a fairly dry part of the world so you get to see features in storms that in the uk you might see once or twice in a lifetime you know you can see several times in a couple of week period there and yeah if if you know if if uh, if the conditions allow then then you get to witness uh, tornadoes as well which of course is is incredible fascinating a bit scary to see all in one i guess can you remember the, your um, your first tornado that you saw I can. It was in uh, it was in 2004, uh, 2004. So I thought I'd seen one before, and then when I actually saw one, I realised that I hadn't seen <laughs> one before. Really? So, yeah, it's like the Northern uh, Lights, isn't yeah. it? Is yeah, that a green speck? No. <laughs> it is, and I and I think you know when people think they might have seen a tornado, I think you you know when you've seen one, you know. Um, and it was it was just after dark one evening, I think. Um, I can even remember it was May the 12th, I think it was, 2004. And it was in Kansas. We'd been chasing storms all day. We'd missed a couple of the daytime tornadoes. And we were just under this supercell that was cranking up just around about 9.30, 9 o'clock at night, something like that. And, yeah, all of a sudden looked to the south and 
only lit up by the flashes of lightning that were almost constant. Mm. There was this ghostly silhouette appearing. We knew we were okay. It was moving away from us. But even so, feeling the wind blowing into it, the power of the atmosphere, the lightning almost continuously flashing. It was a pretty uh, pretty incredible experience. Did that just feed your desire for more tornadoes? And was that like, you know, <laughs> the hits that you needed just to think, right, I need to do more of this? It is in a way. I mean, as I say, I think um, there are, people chase for many reasons you know and, and for some people it's you know it's just about seeing those tornadoes and i can understand that and it is for me as well as i've chased more and more you know i'm really interested in seeing the tornadoes but you have to not be or in my mind anyway not too focused on that end thing because if you are then you'll probably end up disappointed mm, most yeah. days because most chases most days you don't see tornadoes you know even even with all the technology now the radar the, the in-car internet you know on your phone or whatever almost constantly getting updates it's still very difficult to find a tornado and it's still not hugely well understood why one storm produces a tornado and another doesn't and of course that translates into there's yeah, still being a lot of luck involved in, in catching a tornado as well and that's one thing about them they're they, they still are very unpredictable aren't they even though we understand some of the science tell us about may the 31st 2013 so yeah that's the the infamous uh, el reno tornado the largest recorded tornado in in history um around about 2.6 miles wide i think you just got to imagine that for a moment you know a tornado that is that mm. wide yeah, i mean it's lordy incredible. it's incredible nowhere so, to run that's the thing no, well that's it and you know we, we we were out there we we were there on that infamous day we'd, we'd seen a big tornado a few days before up in kansas and we knew the atmosphere was primed on this day there was the moisture in the air was so humid you know lots and lots of moisture coming from the gulf of mexico it was humid it was really sticky the temperature was around about 31 celsius something like that and you could just feel the atmosphere was primed big disturbance coming through in, in the jet stream aloft and we would we based ourselves in el reno for lunch and uh, sort of mid-afternoon headed south of town just to watch the environment how it was going and some storms fired up around about 20 miles west of, a, of, of the town of el reno um, and quickly turned into a cluster with a big supercell forming on the southern side and we got pretty close to the updraft we were watching the rotating clouds and you know to cut a long story short we, we observed the tornado starting to form just a mile or two to our northwest now we imagined that day as did a lot of people that the tornado would probably move in a general east east or east northeast direction but almost straight away we could see it was coming towards us in a southeasterly direction so we wow. we hot footed it out of there and really over the next hour or so we were we were being chased east by this tornado and it sped up its forward motion increased to about 50 miles an hour and when you're driving along dirt roads with quite a lot of other chasers a really strong wind blowing against you it became quite difficult for a time and the rain curtains from the sort of supercell rotation started to envelop us and we we were we were worried for a moment you know i was, was going to say I'd, that sounds yeah, terrifying yeah, if i'm totally was, honest with you it was i mean i you know i i try and you know we try and not get ourselves into situations like that we're not interested in getting too close to the tornado some people are but you know more interested in looking at the, the storm as a whole and so we we were within the circulation and the edge of the circulation for about five minutes or so as we as we sped out of there and um yeah we got in the end to the east of it and it, we could see it up to our northwest by then it curled back to the northwest which had a tragic consequences of for, for a number of storm chasers and we could we you could hardly actually see anything really just this big massive cloud at the ground level spinning hear the tornado sirens from El Reno wailing away and mm. it was I mean it was 
it was quite haunting, quite haunting, I guess. It was, yeah. And we, by the, we got, you know, finally got out of there later on um, after another few hairy moments, and we took stock in the evening, and uh, yeah, didn't want to ever repeat that experience again. Yeah. Well, I mean, what was it? What was it like? What was the community? The whole storm chasing community. What was it like? You know, well, after I mean, you realised what what actually happened. I mean, that was that was horrible it was kind of the following evening you, you start to hear you know on the grapevine some some you know words going around that something's happened but of course no one wants to speculate or or, or say what because it's it's a very rare thing you know storm chasers and experienced guys i mean the guys involved are extremely experienced much more experienced than than, than i have um and so you know they just got caught out i guess um hmm. and it just demonstrates that you, you can't know everything about what the storm's going to do. Um, and they clearly didn't put themselves like anyone else on that day into a situation that they imagined would be dangerous. And I think it was a big lesson for us all that um, you can only know so much and, and ex- expect a storm to behave in a certain way. But on this day, there was so much energy, so much instability in the atmosphere. Um, the storm was rather unpredictable in, in its behaviour. Did that put you off at all or have you been back <laughs> since then? No, no, I've been back every year since then um i mean it's certainly the following year when the first storm we approached in, in in 2014 and we saw you know once again a strongly rotating lower part of the storm we call a wall cloud where there's a lower piece of cloud rotating strongly and you know it, it looked visually similar for a, a few minutes as as the start of the arena tornado and it um it it did have the effect of kind of ramping the nerves up a bit but um we kind of knew the day was the you know the, the parameters and everything that day were much kind of less extreme than they were on the arena one but i think it it it, it taught us to stay back a bit mm. and um, not not think that we know what the storm's going to do is there much i mean i can imagine oklahoma is quite vast and with not much of a road network in some parts of the state where do you position yourself when you know a tornado is coming in because obviously there's safer places most of the time than not yeah, that's a great question. And um, in some parts of the, the plains, you know, it's, a, it's a vast agricultural area. So there are some areas where there's a really good road network, you know, really dense network of roads so the farmers can get to their fields. Um, but you're right, there are other areas where perhaps it's less agricultural, a bit more um, sort of uh, rolling landscape and the roads are quite sparse. So you are you have to be one step ahead in a way. You have to think, well, where's the storm going to be in the next 30, 60 minutes or so? Where do I want to be? Have I got an escape route? That's always what you, you know, can I get away from the storm quickly if something um, untoward happens? So if we take a traditional storm moving northeast, then you want to be sort of ahead of the storm and just slightly south of its expected path. So you, you can watch it safely pass to your north as it goes past, but you've got some good lighting because it depends as well what you want to do. If you want to take a, a video or photograph of it you've also got to think about how you know what sort of contrast you're getting so the ideal one is to be looking towards the west in the late afternoon you know nice bright horizon very dark cloud and a good silhouette of the tornado but equally sometimes you can be behind the storm get some late sunshine shining on it and you get a really kind of bright white cloud going on so but the ideal thing is to not be directly in the path of the storm. Of course, that's the key thing. What's the um, the community like, the, the storm chasing community? Because I know recently the uh, National Weather Service has kind of muted that uh, with so many storm chasers now going to find these storms, it, they can sometimes block up roads uh, and exit points for you know the, the people that these tornadoes might actually be impacting. I mean, there's, there seems to me like an influx of these storm chasers now. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, it's I suppose community. It's it's more of a loose knit thing, and um, some people, you know, just completely chase without any interaction, which is fine. You know, others as of us uh, sort of keep in contact with with colleagues, and you know, they're, they're, I suppose there's a kind of loose knit um, community and a loose knit set of of sort of ethics and 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 general, you know, guidelines of how the general populace of storm chasing might might feel that everyone should behave but of course people are free effectively within the law to to, to do what they like and so there are periods of time where it's you know late may mid to late may somewhere like oklahoma where you've got the big university which is you know meteorological sort of hub or the severe storms folks there researchers are often in in oklahoma too if it's a weekend day mid to late may in oklahoma you're going to experience um probably quite a lot of hmm. traffic around the storm and the el reno day you know there was a lot of cars and, and vans and trucks driving around that day but equally last year we were out in the high plains of western oklahoma and west texas you know uh, watching a storm and saw no one else whatsoever so there are times there are places where you know and, and and risk days you know if it's a big risk day you know it's going to be busy and you kind of decide whether or not you want to be part of that you know, do you, or do you want to play a slightly lower risk area away from the crowd and 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 see something perhaps that not many other people do so but it is it can be busy at times there um and and yeah sorry the, the, the sort of whether or not that's a good thing waxes and wanes as well if you see what i mean well as i said the counter to that is as well as the the national weather service i know that a lot of these storm chasers feed their information back to the national weather service and can actually provide a really good resource to to the forecasters in knowing where the storm's going to pre, you know to pre-warn uh towns and communities that's right, yeah, and I mean, there's there's still only one way to know that there's a tornado in progress, yeah. really, it's, and that's yeah. someone seeing Observing it. it. You can you can see the rotation of the storm on the radar, but you can't see the rotation of the tornado via radar. So you really need eyes on the ground, and yeah, most storm chasers do do report back. Um, again, it's it's up to them individually yeah. if they want to, but I think most people feel that it's it's good to be kind of helping if you can and yep. so you know we, we we try to if we can um feedback info if we spot anything the bigger picture global patterns is there anything that you say actually something like say enzo el nino la nina if you see a prediction for that through the three or four months ahead of tornado season can you say actually it could be a more of a potent season than not depending on global patterns <sighs> Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, there have, I've read a number of studies about, you know, for example, Enso cycle, whether it's El Nino or, or La Nina, and there doesn't seem to be much difference in the overall annual number of tornadoes between them. I'm you know, a disclaimer, far from an expert on this kind of thing. So this is just things that I've picked up reading. Um, but there does seem to be some consensus of opinion that in a strong La Nina year, um, so, you know, the opposite of El Nino is so a cooler water around the sort of eastern Pacific, that that drives um, perhaps the, a better chance of more tornado outbreaks, violent tornado outbreaks. Um, and of course, those are the ones that really cause the, the the damage, the deaths and the injuries, because there are more tornadoes, there's a better chance of places being hit by them. So more tornadoes in one outbreak, if you see what I mean, not 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 overall. Um, so perhaps you get slightly higher focus of events sometimes during a strong La Nina year. But you, again, it, it, it sort of varies a little bit. And you also get 
what we might call sub-seasonal effects. So, you know, on, on a sort of two to four to six week period where you get things like stronger or weaker um, thunderstorm activity mm. in parts of the Western Pacific, which can then affect the jet stream, then, you know, can cause big troughs of low pressure to ride into the Western United States and actually, you know, give a small window of a few days of a big outbreak where overall it's a quite a quiet season. So if I'm looking ahead to you know, traveling out storm chasing, I've, I've learned to just not look ahead, you know, right. um, because I have to book it, you know, I have to book holiday months in advance. So I kind of book a two week period and that's the end of it. And you go there and you take what Mother Nature throws in that two weeks. Unless you live in Oklahoma or, you know, Kansas, etc. That's what you have to do. Don't you have to book those tickets far in advance? <laughs> otherwise, you're paying a premium. That's it. And so you just go with, you know, the natural climatological mm-hmm. peak, which is late May, early June. Um, but again, it's year by year it's just like over here you know just looking at the weather we have where one week it's cold next week it's hot but you wouldn't be able to predict that um you know three or four months in advance really in that small scale window so paul before you go off to do your storm chasing do you you (laughs) g yourself up a bit by watching uh twister before you go (laughs) picture yourself there launching dorothy cows in the sky into into the sky twister is twister is one of those films that Storm chasers have a love hate relationship. We, 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 I we loved hate, it. I we, loved it. We, we we hate the um you know the fact that it's completely unrealistic, but yeah. we love it because it's such a great film. You know, yeah. it's it's a great film, and I must say, you know, that it's the the um, the soundtrack, the the quotes, you know, everything about it is just great fun and uh, kind of hilarious but you know it's nothing like storm chasing in reality the it is about 10 hours a day of driving yeah. monotonously across the landscape with a, a chance of perhaps seeing something well paul thank you very much indeed for uh, taking us through your uh, storm chasing and your views on tornadoes i've really enjoyed it please stay safe please do. <laughs> yeah. thanks guys it's been my pleasure thank, thank you. you thank you paul Next time on Under the Weather. We keep count only of the times we've been through a hurricane eye. In my case, that's 545 times. Wow. Yep. Uh, we have one fellow downstairs, Terry Lynch, who's gone over 600. He's the number one guy in, in active flying. And I don't know whether I'm number two or number three, but it, it's that's what we keep track of. Subscribe to Under the Weather now for a new episode every Monday.